I hold in my hands something that you are about to experience. And I think I can say this without exaggeration. I don't know of a single event since Net 98, a strategic event that I have become more excited about than what you're going to have in your hands in just a few minutes. I wish you could have been here last night. This lower floor of the sanctuary was crowded with 800 young adults who came out to the first annual ministry fair 2003 at at Pioneer. Pastor Tim Chaplain Tim Nixon gave us a rousing challenge from the Word of God. And then these 800 young adults fanned out onto two floors here at Pioneer, set up with 63 different ministry booth opportunities, 63 opportunities to be about our Father's business. I, tell you, I was here till uh, about 10 o'clock last night. And I went home and I, I, I said this in my heart. This ultimately... Ultimately, this is the reason for Andrews and Pioneer. This is why we exist, for the mobilization of a generation of young. But I need to take a word right here and thank all of you who peopled these booths. You've got to see the booths. In just a moment, you're going to get this, this incredible brochure, and then you'll have a chance to look at the booths because we're letting out early today, as you can tell. But I want to thank all the people. They're really not here. They're, I think, still at their booths right now. But all the men and women and young adults who have peopled these 63 booths and tables to make certain that this ministry fair could be uh, a reality here. I thank God for all of them. But I must tell you that there are two people who deserve a special word of gratitude and an expression of thanksgiving today. Two leaders who worked literally, I mean literally, around the clock. I'm thinking of our other chaplain, our own pastor, Lawrence Byrne, and his new student uh, partner, Chad Stewart. I know that this vision could not have become reality without strong leadership. And I am so grateful to God for those two men. And you know what? I'm also grateful to God. In fact, I am thanking Him in advance for what you today are going to choose as your new mission slash ministry slash service opportunity so that you too can be about your Father's business. And I believe in just a few moments when you go out those doors that God is, God is going to impress you. One size does not fit all. Check them out. And then put your name on the dotted line. Well, we're ready to go. God has a, a very significant Bible teaching for us today. I want to pray with you, and I want to plunge right into this teaching. Oh, God. Hallelujah. We've been singing the wonder of Your love. You are the breath of our hearts. You are the very breath of our souls. So, we're in worship, Father. But we not only want to be about our Father's worship, we want to be about our Father's business. And so, may your teaching this morning be clear. Compel us, not just our minds, but, oh God, touch our hearts so that full-bodied responses we can make 
for the service of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His name, we continue to worship you. Let all the people say, Amen. How would you like your life summarized in a single sentence? You know, they do that. They do it on tombstones, and they're called epitaphs. If you were to go to the Christ Church Cemetery today, right now in Pennsylvania, PA, I mean, Philadelphia, PA, that would be Pennsylvania, yeah. Well, you know the states. If you were to go to that Christ Church Cemetery today and move amongst the headstones, you would come to the tombstone of Benjamin Franklin. You know Benjamin Franklin? One of the signatories of the Declaration of Independence. One of our founding fathers. And on that tombstone, these are the words that you would read. The body of B. Franklin Printer. That's what he did all his life. He was one of our founding fathers, but he was a printer by trade. The body of B. Franklin Printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents turn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding lies here food for worms. For it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more elegant edition, corrected and improved by the author. Isn't that good? Yep. Today. In Philadelphia, PA, you would find that tombstone. If you would go over to Stratford-on-Avon in England, a tombstone I think chiseled about two centuries earlier, you would come across the great English playwright William Shakespeare's grave. It's in the Holy Trinity Church Cemetery. Shakespeare wanted to make certain these words were chiseled onto his grave. Here they are. This is his actual spelling back then, as you understand. Good friend, for Jesus' sake, forbear to dig the dust enclosed here. Blessed be the man that spares these stones, and cursed be he that moves my bones. William Shakespeare. What's up with that? We do not have an epitaph for Jesus of Nazareth, as the Easter story tells us well why. But we do have... One writer, get this, who attempted to summarize in a single sentence all of Jesus' teen years, all of his young adult years into one sentence. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? If somebody were to take your teen years and put them in one sentence, take your young adult years when they're lived out, one sentence, would that one sentence read anything like this? I want to share that sentence with you. In fact, I don't, I don't want to sound sacrilegious. But Jesus... It appears, as he appears in the Gospel of St. Luke, Jesus appears as the model Andrews University student. I'm telling you the truth. I'm, take out your study guide. Let's do this. I'll prove it to you. Pull out your, go into your worship bulletin right now. There should be a study guide tucked away. And in fact, ushers, thank you for making sure there's something very special on today's study guide. So I'd like everybody, whether you're used to filling out a study guide or not, j just make sure you get the study guide as it comes to you. And those of you watching on television right now, if you will go to our website, www.pmchurch.org, you click on, you will find this study guide. It's already there. So hurry to your uh, computer while the television is running and click on join us because I want to show you. Take a look at this. Get a load of, of, uh, of this teaching. One line. In fact, would you write the reference in, please, as we move through our study guide, right in the numbers, Luke 2.52. You've got Luke, but please write in 2.52. 
Luke 2.52. I have a feeling a lot of us know this text. We've read it before. But let's put it up on the screen once again. And Jesus... Let's read this out loud together, shall we? And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Fill in your study guide now. Jesus grew in wisdom. Right in the word wisdom. Now, when you grow in wisdom, how are you growing? You are growing intellectually. So write in the word intellectually. He grew in wisdom. He grew intellectually. He grew in wisdom. He grew in, the next word, stature. When you grow in stature, you are growing physically. Absolutely right, sir. Write in the word physically. He grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. He grew in favor with God. When you grow in favor with God, how are you growing? Spiritually. Write in the word spiritually. And he not only grew in favor with God, he grew in favor with people. When you grow in favor with people, you're growing socially, intellectually, physically, spiritually, and socially. Now, look at why is he the model Andrews University student? Take a look at this. We couldn't get a hold of the school seal. Do you know what? That school seal is so protected. It is not accessible in electronic form. But I'm going to put the school seal up. The Latin motto of the school seal. It goes like this. Men's corpus spiritus. What is that? Mind, body, and spirit. The very categories in which the Lord Jesus Himself grew. Intellectually, physically, and spiritually. Wow. Now look. Let me ask a question. What else do we know? Question. What else do we know about Jesus' young adult years? Answer. Absolutely zero. Nada. Nothing. No spectacular miracles, no astounding teachings, no supernatural manifestations. All we have are 20 years of silence from around 12 to the age of 32. Nothing. 20 years of quiet training, backwater learning for the most radical life mission the universe has ever known. Which just goes to show, by the way, that quiet training... An obscure preparation in a little village that nobody's ever heard of called Berrien Springs can be right in the middle of God's strategic plan for your life. You know, every now and then I get a student who comes into the office and the student says, you know, Pastor, I got to quit school. I believe Jesus is coming soon. I got to quit school. I got to get out there and help him finish the work. And do you know what I answer every single time? Rubbish. Not rubbish about Jesus coming soon. I believe with all my heart Jesus is coming soon. But rubbish about getting out of school. Let me tell you something. What you are doing right now is precisely what God is needing to happen in your life. You need the very best Christian Adventist education possible before God puts you out on the firing lines. God will never, never let you down. You're not missing out on the action. Never forget that God kept Jesus at home in the carpenter shop for 20 more years after He said, I've got to be about my Father's business. And God says, good boy, 20 more years, I don't want to hear a word out of you. 20 years of silence. Because when you're young, would you write this in your study guide, please? When you're young, the father's business begins with quiet training. Write in the word training. That's what this ministry fair is all about. The father's business begins with quiet training and humble preparation. Write in the word preparation. 
It's how the incarnate God Himself prepared for His own life mission when, when He was here. I want to repeat it. Quiet training is not antithetical to radical mission. You've got to have the quiet training first. It is preparatory, as is the anointing that follows. So here's the question. Do you have the anointing? I'm not just talking to students now. I'm talking to every human being si- sitting on these very soft pews here at Pioneer. Do you have the anointing? Open your Bible, please, to the very next words right after Luke 2:52. That would be Luke chapter 3, verse 1. Let's take a flying excursion through Luke chapter 3. Those of you watching on the air will get the words up on the screen in just a moment. I'll be in the New International Version. The Gospel of St. Luke. Take a look at this. Do you have the anointing? Luke chapter 3, verse 1, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of Idaria and Trachonitis, and Licinius was tetrarch of Abilene, verse 2, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John. That is Jesus' cousin, John. John, the son of Zechariah. In the desert, verse 3, he went into all the country around Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, here goes, a voice of one calling in the desert. By the way, if you're a young adult, if you are a young adult Seventh-day Adventist Christian, you are about to read a description of your mission to this civilization. It is identical with John the Baptist. This is your mission. This is your message. Prepare the way for the Lord, verse 4, and make straight paths for Him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked road shall become straight. The rough way smooth. And, verse 6, all mankind, the whole human race, is going to have an opportunity, one last shot, at the salvation of God. The very message that prepared for the Messiah's first coming now must go back out for the Messiah's second coming. You weren't born accidentally. God willed you into existence for such an hour as this, and you are going to become a part of the John the Baptist generation. Isn't that something? Wow. And so... John said, verse, verse 7, crowds have come. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. You know, he must never have taken the Dale Carnegie course on how to win friends and influence people. I mean, is this the way you want to start? I made a terrible mistake once. I think I might have told some of you about this. I went over to Belgrade and I was trying to speak Serbian. We had this big conference of Adventist pastors, Christian pastors, and I got up and said, good morning, pigs which is really a bad way to get started with uh, a group of preachers. Got one little syllable mixed up and it turned out pigs. But you know what? I'd rather say good morning pigs than you brood of vipers. You brood of vipers. Verse 7, Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I know you guys got orthodoxy down. I want to see some orthopraxy now, please. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham. Hey, we got Abraham as our father. You know what? This particular community of faith that I belong to sometimes has the tendency to say, hey, we got the truth. John is saying, rubbish. 
If God wants to get truth, He can get truth out of stones. Don't you go sitting back on your spiritual pedigree. God, and John goes on here, he says, God can raise up children for Abraham right out of the stones around us. Now go to verse 9. The axe is already at the root of the trees. It's a judgment message. It's almost here. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The crowd cries out, verse 10, what should we do then? John answers in verse 11. Hey, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none. Give to the poor. And the one who has food should do the same. Give to the needy and the tax collectors. They say, hey, wait a minute, teacher, what should we do? Verse 12, and John responds in verse 13, don't collect any more than you are required to do. Verse 14, then some of the soldiers said, hey, what about us big soldiers? John responds, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. And if you're working around here, be content with your pay. Whoa, there's a whole sermon in that, I suppose. We'll skip it. Verse 15, the people were waiting expectantly and all were wondering in their hearts, if John, do you suppose John could be the Christ, the Messiah? John answered them, verse 16, no, no, I baptize you with water. But one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Let me tell you about the Orientals back then and the Orientals today. The basest part of your daily garment, the, the basest, it's right down here. It's your sandal. It's the worst. It's the most shameful. When Saddam Hussein's statue toppled, did you see the pictures? When his statue toppled, what did the people in, 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 in Baghdad do? They took their sandals off. Because that's the ultimate shaming. The rabbis had a saying. The rabbinical uh, uh, teaching said, A student must be a slave to his master, except he shall never take off his shoe. It's too low. It's, it's the bottom of the bottom. And John says, there's somebody coming. I, I am so unworthy, I can't even be a slave to unlatch that sandal. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And His winnowing fork is in His hand to clear His threshing floor and to gather the wheat into His barn. But He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And verse 18, and with many other words, John exhorted the people and he preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, oh boy, you see, there's some people that think that when you preach, you should only comfort the afflicted. John is proof that you should also afflict the comfortable. And he gets a hold of Herod the Tetrarch. And he says, that is adultery. Your marriage. Shouldn't have said it. It's over. And so Herod, because he had married Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, verse 20, Herod added to them all, he locked John up in prison. And then with the snap of a finger, 20 years are gone. From the life of Jesus. And now here he comes. About the age of 32. 33. Verse 21. And when all the people were being baptized. Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying. Luke 
more than any other gospel writer, describes the prayer life of Jesus. Jesus has just come out of the muddy Jordan. He's on the banks praying. And as he was praying, the first act of the young adult Jesus, the first act is he's baptizing in prayer. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You want to hear something very interesting? Matthew records the same story in Matthew. Matthew makes the words of God an announcement about Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Luke turns the announcement into an endearment for Jesus. You, you are the one I love. You are the one in whom I am well pleased. Isn't that something? You know why? Because God knows there comes a time in every life when we desperately need to hear him say, you are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. I am so pleased with you. Most of us have a little voice inside of our minds that says, God is ticked off at me. Repeat after me, self. Ticked off at me. And we go through life believing that that is the Father's attitude toward us. Isn't it sad? Brendan Manning, in his wonderful book, Lion and the Lamb, tells a story about a priest friend of his living in Detroit who went over to Ireland one summer to visit his aging uncle. His uncle was about to celebrate his 80th birthday. And so the the priest flew over there. And uh, one morning, in fact, it was the day, the great day of the celebration, he and his uncle got up before dawn. And they began to walk down to the shores of Lake Killarney to watch the sun come up for 20 minutes. They stand there side by side, nobody breathing a word. They're just drinking in the glory of that moment. And finally they turn to leave. And as they resume walking, the the, the young man notices his uncle's face is wreathed in a broad smile. And he says, Uncle Seamus, you look very happy. I am. How come? To which his uncle replied, the father of Jesus is very fond of me. Now, Manning, then ask the question. I'll put the words on the screen for you. If the question were put to you, do you honestly believe that God likes you, not loves you, because theologically He must? How would you answer? God loves by necessity of His nature. Without the eternal interior generation of love, He would cease to be God. But, hold on. But if you could answer, the Father is very fond of me. If you could just say that. There would come a relaxedness. There would come a serenity and a compassionate attitude towards yourself that is a reflection of God's own tenderness. Isn't that beautiful? You just, you just say, whoa. You are, you are my beloved daughter. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. Boy, you are my beloved son. I love you. Twenty long years after the boy Jesus declared, I must be about my father's business, the father finally speaks. Twenty years, no word at all. The father finally speaks and he says, guess what? You are my business. And with you, I am very well 
please. Some of you need to hear the Father saying that to you right now. You are loved. You're beloved. A beloved child of His. And so, boom, Jesus gets anointed. Right on time, by the way, with a great prophetic clock. I've got to share this with you. Get a load of this. This is Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Ancient prophecy. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one. That's Messiah. Until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. Now, the, the anointed one, the Messiah is going to come 580 years before the coming. The anointed one is going to come. By the way, I have a book. If you go to our website, I've got a book that does all the arithmetic for you. But let, let, let me just share this with you. 457, the walls of Jerusalem are finished. 457 B.C. 483 years later, the anointed one is to come. Do you know what the arithmetic turns out to be? A.D. 27. Do you know what year A.D. 27 is? It's the 15th year of Tiberius that we just read in Luke chapter 3, verse 1. This is the only verifiable date anywhere in the four Gospels. And we got it right here at Jesus' baptism. You know why? Because we need, it's the critical date to unlock the messianic proof that Jesus was the Messiah himself. Wow. You say, oh, come on, he wasn't anointed then. Oh, yes, he was. Take a look at this. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. God anointed. He became the anointed one. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And you know how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Yeah, but when did, when did God really anoint Jesus? Come on, we just read it. Look at it again. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open. And here it comes. The Holy Spirit anoints him, descends on him in bodily form like a dove. And then a voice comes and says, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. 27 A.D. Boom. The clock strikes and the Messiah is anointed. The anointed one comes. And why was Jesus anointed? I'll tell you why. Because you cannot be about the Father's business without the Spirit's baptism. That's why. It's the great truth of the anointing. I'll repeat it. You cannot be about the Father's business without the Spirit's baptism. If that's too hard to remember, I've got a shorter sentence for you that I guarantee you will never forget. It's at the bottom of the first uh, side of your study guide. You must be anointed before you are appointed. See? You must be anointed before you are appointed. Appointed. You say, oh, come on, Dwight, what do you mean by being anointed? I mean being anointed just as Jesus was anointed. You say, but how was Jesus anointed? We just read it. Would you write it in your study guide, please? Turn it over. I see I skipped a, I, I, I skipped a line. Not to worry. We'll go to that line in just a moment. How was Jesus anointed? He was anointed in two ways. Number one, would you write this in please? We'll go back to the line I just missed. Number one, he was anointed by the baptism of water. Yeah, come on, we just saw him anointed. He was anointed by the baptism of water. And then, write it in please, he was anointed by the baptism of the Spirit. He's anointed 
That day, that fall of 27 A.D., Jesus is anointed, which leads me to the question I forgot. That question is so critical that I wanted to make certain it's on your study guide. Would you please write it in? Do you have the anointing? Write in the word anointing at the top of your study guide. Do you have the anointing? Ladies and gentlemen, that's the question. Do you? Do you have the anointing? Have you been anointed? You say, Dwight, I thought anointing was by oil. There's also anointing by oil. In fact, if you come this Wednesday night, it'll only happen this Wednesday night, at our house of prayer service right here, if you will come this Wednesday night, we are going to have a public anointing by oil service. Our entire pastoral staff will be here. And if you need to be anointed for physical reasons, emotional reasons, or spiritual reasons... And I'll share a little teaching with you before the anointing. You come here and we will pray with you and we will anoint you with oil. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, right here for 45 minutes. You come. You need an anointing? You come. Wednesday night. But the anointing here is by baptism of water or baptism of the Spirit. I.e., when, when we ask the question, do you have the anointing, have you been baptized by the Spirit? You know what? The reason some people struggle so hard in being about the Father's business is because they have not been anointed by the Father's Spirit. It becomes an absolute, it becomes an, an utter obligation. I can't believe i got to do this. I, oh, they called me up. They asked me if I would be involved as a volunteer. If I don't do it, people will think I'm not really caring about this place, so i got to do it, but I hate it. The reason people get bored with the Father's business, the reason people burn out in the Father's business is because they don't have the anointing. They're just going through the motions, just, even if it kills me. Dwight L. Moody, the great American evangelist of the 19th century. Dwight L. Moody. He met a man once who was burned out for that very reason. And I want you to read this description. Moody's description of this man. I don't believe that man broke down at first with hard work. So much as with using the machinery without oil. Without lubrication. Can you imagine your car engine running without oil? can't. It is not the hard work that breaks us down, not in ministry. It is the toil of working without power. Oh, that God may anoint His people. Moody himself experienced the anointing, and all of his biographers describe it, the anointing of the Spirit, and he would later describe his life, the contrast. Take a look at this. He said, I was all the time, before the anointing, I was all the time tugging and carrying water in a bucket. Just, oh man, dragging through life. All the time tugging and carrying water. But now I have a river that carries me. I got the river. Jesus said, when the Spirit is in you, it will flow out of your belly like a, like, a, like a river. I have a river that carries me. Have you been baptized by the Spirit? And no, no, let me ask you this. Have you ever asked... To be baptized by the Spirit. I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a few moments to ask for that anointing. I could not believe my eyes when I came across these words in Christ's object lessons. These words are so critical, I made sure they're in the study guide. But you have to fill in a blank for this to make any sense at all. So let's do it on the screen. Christ's object lessons. What page is that? 
That is page 139. Christ was continually receiving from the Father that He might communicate to us. Not for Himself, but for others He lived and thought and prayed. Now read on. From hours spent with God, He came forth morning by morning to bring the light of heaven to men and women. Now here comes the key word. Daily. Can you believe this? I italicized the sentence. Daily. Look at that. Daily he received a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. He got baptized every day. Re-anointed. Isn't that something? Daily, ladies and gentlemen. Daily. Do you have the anointing? Why was he daily receiving it? Because you can't be about the Father's business without the Spirit's baptism. you got to get it over and over again. Someone came up to Dwight L. Moody and they said, Hey, are you filled with the Spirit? He said, Yep, but I leak. That's what happened to Jesus. He leaked. Filled up. Spent it. Gave it. Filled up. Gave it again. Daily, he received a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. What do you say to that, church? Daily. You ask for it daily. How can you have it? Christ Object Lessons goes on. Take a look at this. There are many who long to help others. That's what this ministry fair is all about. 63 opportunities to help another human being in need. There are many who long to help others, but they feel as young adults that they have no spiritual strength or light to impart. Let them present their petitions to the throne of grace. A key word here, and it's not in your, it's not there. You're going to have to write it in. Plead. Plead for the Holy Spirit. God stands back of every promise He has made. Hallelujah. you got to ask. Why? Because you can't be about the Father's business unless you have the Spirit's baptism. you got to get anointed before you are appointed. See? Do you have the anointing? Then why don't you ask for it? One, one moment I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask privately to God for that anointing. But you see, there are two kinds of anointing. There's the anointing of, of baptism by the Spirit. There's another anointing in the life of Jesus. The anointing of being baptized by water. We went on the internet and found a brand new picture. I've never seen this. Have you, have you ever seen the picture that's on the cover of our bulletin today? Here's the color version of it. Never seen that picture before. This is Jesus and John in the muddy Jordan River. Now, according to Matthew's account... When Jesus comes up and says, hey, I need to be baptized, John realizes who this is, and with fervent protesting, I'm a guilty sinner, hold time out, what is wrong with this picture? You should be baptizing me, not me baptizing you, something's wrong. Hey, you know what, ladies and gentlemen? If John, the ascetic saint, I mean, is, was there a saint greater than John? John? If John, the ascetic saint, felt unworthy in the presence of Jesus, how do you suppose I feel? How do you suppose you feel? I mean, you want to take the greatest Christian who ever lived hands down? It's the Apostle Paul. Near the end of his life, Paul makes the confession in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. Look at this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Paul says he's the worst. If Paul is the worst, I am doubly, I am triply, I am quadruply. Somebody sent a word in after first church. I am logarithmically. 
worse. I'm embarrassed. Just had it happen this week. I'm embarrassed with the words I blurt out when I let my guard down in public. Not just at home, in public. I'm embarrassed with the words I blurt out. I am ashamed of the thoughts I keep. I am chagrined with my motives for my very best behavior, my motives for doing it. Which is why when John protested Jesus, hey, please, I can't baptize you. I mean, I exponentially more for me. Matthew captures Jesus' response to that. And I love the way Eugene Peterson renders it in the message. Matthew 3.15. Take a look at this. But Jesus insisted to John, no, no, do it. God's work, putting things right in all these centuries is coming together right now in this baptism. Did you catch that, ladies and gentlemen? Do it. Jesus says, do it. Which is what I believe He is saying to every man, woman, young adult, teenager this morning who has yet to follow the Master and be baptized even as He was by water. I believe Jesus, sir, is saying to you, Madam, I believe He's saying to you, do it. It's the only way God can go deep into your life. Do it. Do it. In fact... Just before Jesus left, Mark 16, 16, He said, I want to tell you about baptism. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe, Jesus said, will be condemned. Because following Jesus is truly a matter of salvation. Following Him into water baptism. It's the only way I'll get saved in the end. I want to talk to some of you now, in closing, who have grown up in a Christian home. Some of you have grown up in a Seventh-day Adventist Christian home. You've gone to schools. You've gone to church. You've come all this way. But for some reason, and you know what? It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't even matter to God. But for some reason, you have put off the decision to follow your Lord and be anointed by water baptism. You know what? Why put that decision off one more minute? Why wait another year? Are you going to be here another year? Everybody who knows he or she is going to be here in one more year, raise your hand. There's not one hand that goes up. You know why? Because we don't know. Why put it off? You know it's right. Intellectually you know it. Spiritually you know it. For some reason you've held back. My friend, you don't have to hold back anymore. You can get anointed. I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that decision. But first I want to speak to those of you who have grown up in an environment that's not been Christian at all. You might have grown up in a Hindu environment. You might have grown up in a Buddhist environment. You might have grown up in an atheist environment. It doesn't matter to me the environment, but you never grew up with the story of Jesus. But over the last few weeks and months of your life, you've been running into this story of Jesus. And your heart is growing with the realization. The sense is growing. You know what? I can't fix my life. Have you ever tried to fix yourself? It's humanly impossible. You will live with guilt the rest of your life. You cannot cure yourself. You need a physician. And Jesus is the physician of the soul. My friend, you need to take Jesus and embrace Him 
as your Savior, your Lord, and your Master. You're not here by accident today. I'm going to give you an opportunity. The most anonymous kind of opportunity you have ever had in your life to choose to follow Jesus in baptism. By the way, nobody's going to be baptized tomorrow. We're not going to go, oh, come on, get the water in the baptistry. No. But I'm going to give you the opportunity today to decide. At the end of your study guide, take a look. Right at the end of your study guide, there's a response. And I want everybody in this church to fill this out. Because there's a response for everyone here. I would like to follow Jesus and accept Him as my Savior by being baptized. You're going to f- Nobody's going to see that. You're not going to stand up. This is not an altar call. This is an intellectual decision for a spiritual reality. If you have not been baptized... I'm appealing to you right now to put a check mark in that box. He said, what are you going to do with it? It's going to come to me. He said, oh, no, I just, I, I, I just want to do this anonymously. No, no. Jesus did not wait for John to come to him. Jesus had to make it known to somebody that he, had now, he was now ready for baptism. Somebody has to be told for you to experience baptism. So if you will put a check mark there, I'll get that. And we'll be in touch with you. Nobody's going to be baptized in the next few days. Do whatever it takes so that it's clear to you you're making the right decision. But today, you can make the decision. You say, Dwight, I've already made that decision. I have that anointing. I want the other anointing. Then you check the other box, please, right now. I have already been baptized, but I would like to recommit my life to follow Jesus. And I want to be baptized by the Spirit. If you check box two... You could, I suppose, check both. If you check box two, it's because you want the anointing of the Spirit's baptism. I would like you to turn that in as well. We're going to, as a pastoral staff, pray over all those. Hundreds turned in in our first service today as well. Would you? Would you put on here, please, your name, your address, phone number, email, some way that we can be in touch. Oh, my friend, I wish you'd just do that. Make the decision today if you've never been baptized. Put a check mark there. And then would you do this? Would you just tear it off? We made sure that you wouldn't lose any part of your study guide. So just tear it right there at the bottom, please. Turn it upside down. And would you now pass all of these little pieces? Everybody's filled one out. Would you pass these pieces of paper to the center aisles? Pass toward the center. And right as soon as our prayer is over, our ushers are going to receive that. Receive your response today. God bless you. This is, this, is the, this is the easiest public appeal for baptism you have ever experienced. Because you don't have to stand up. You don't have to be identified. You can just say, count me in by the grace of Christ. God bless you. I want to kneel with you. I want to pray for these decisions. Let's kneel together. And then we'll be off to the ministry fair. Pass those as you're kneeling even. Just pass them down, upside down. The ones at the end will have a fistful of them. And then our ushers will very quickly, after the amen, slip through and pick up those decisions. Oh, Father. The Father whose business we long to be about. Oh, God. We have watched for a few fleeting moments 
our Lord Himself as a young adult, 32 years old. The most perfect life ever lived. So strong His trust in you. Had no reason to be baptized. We watched Him as He went down into that muddy river. He said, I must do it. This is God's righteousness. All that God has been doing for centuries coming together, I must be an example to those who would follow me. Oh God, we have seen Jesus. We'll never be perfect, Father. If you're asking us to be perfect before we can be baptized, you might as well write us all off. It's over. It's impossible. But if we can come to you just as we are, if we can come to you sinners, through and through as everyone on his or her knees now is, oh God, you can do something miraculous. And that's why first, Father, I want to pray for these today who put a check mark and said, I want to be anointed by water baptism. I want to follow Jesus. Oh, Father, mark that man, that woman. Stay by him. Stay by her now. May the angel of the Lord who guards her see you this moment in her mind. May the mighty angel who defends him mark this moment and preserve it. And may the day come. When this decision becomes the joyful following of Jesus into the waters of baptism. Not perfect, Father. Oh, no. But we have found a perfect Savior. And Him we would follow. Seal those decisions in that first box. And then, Father, I want to pray for all of us who put a check mark in that second box. I want to recommit my life to Jesus. I need a double anointing. I need the anointing now, not of water. I need the anointing of the Spirit. Father, we've been going about our Father's business without our Spirit's baptism. We've been trying to be appointed without being anointed. And that's why the machine has nearly ground to a halt. It's so boring to have to serve Jesus. We haven't been anointed. We haven't found out that that's the whole reason we've been born into this world. You placed in our hearts when we screamed out that first cry as a newborn. You placed within us the abilities, the, the supernatural blueprint that we might find our greatest joy in serving the God of the universe. We need the anointing for the machinery to work. Oh, Father, every man, woman, and child here who's praying that prayer silently to you now, he's asking for the baptism of the Spirit. She's pleading, Father, please. You stand behind your promises, then we're holding you to them. Jesus said, ask and you receive, seek and you will find, knock and it will be given to you. If you who are evil give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we ask. That's it, Father. Our boxes, they're all checked. We want to be appointed now. Go with us. Show us where our unique gift mix can bring you the greatest glory and bring us the greatest joy. In the name of Jesus Christ, with holy confidence and joy, we go forth. Again, let all the people say, Amen and Amen.